All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Choir is cranking up full blast. The kids are having the largest uh, banana split. I told them we needed to try to leave here a little early so we could go back there and help them. Those kids don't need all of that ice cream and sugar uh, before they go to bed. So I thought maybe we might slip out there about the time they get it made and just raid that place and run them out of there. And then, uh, but I do have 19 pages of notes tonight, so it may we, we're gonna have to listen fast. Don't forget if you've got your app, you can go on. Uh, online and you can get the notes for tonight it's under the Wednesday night this date don't forget also uh, the Christmas in Branson those brochures are out there in the uh, uh, connection center and Sunday uh, you'll have a brochure this is I mean it's not for everybody but I've been praying about it and and uh, uh, next April 30th through May the 9th uh, Becky and I are going to be going to the Holy Land. And uh, if you'd like to go with us and uh, on a, a group with a different group, uh, you're welcome to sign up and do that. You can get the information. Uh, uh, I've had several of you say, hey, we really want to do that before we leave this earth. And uh, so if you do, well, you sign up and we'll have an informational meeting and we'll, we'll uh, discuss that, all the details. Uh, but you'll get that information Sunday. We're down into the prophets again, and uh, tonight and then Sunday morning, we're looking at the prophet of, uh, well, no, tonight we're looking at Nehemiah. Sunday morning, we're going to look at Jeremiah. There, there's so many prophets I'd like to preach on, and yet uh, time's running out for the month of August. So uh, uh, Sunday morning will be uh, Jeremiah, and then next Sunday morning, we'll close out the month of August in the summer with the prophet of Ezekiel. But tonight, Nehemiah, with the idea of loving the church, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, and uh, Woodland Hills had just turned 66 years old, we're able to get on Medicare now, and uh, that's God, we, uh, we, just in June, June 26, 1951, this church chartered together and became a church, and uh, I want to tell you, I don't think the devil's like the fact that Woodland Hills has been here. I think he would like to remove this church. I think he'd like to remove any Bible-believing church there is, period. It's a thorn in his side. It's been a blockade to his progress for 66 years. And uh, I, I, my goal is uh, I'm thankful for what God is doing now. But I want to tell you, I want to make sure that this church doesn't fall by the wayside 10 years from now if the Lord doesn't come back or 15 years from now. So how do we do that? And we're going to discuss that. The Bible says in Nehemiah 10, 39, for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn of the new wine and the oil unto the chambers where are the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers and we will not forsake the house of God. Just put a big star by that right there. We will not forsake the house of God. That's the key to it right there. The Lord Jesus Christ loves the church. Jesus died for the church. In the Old Testament, the house of God was the temple. In the New Testament, the house of God is the church. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, he's got a people for his temple. 1 Timothy 3.15 talks about that we're the household of God and that we're not to forsake the house of God. 
Now, that's what I want to just look at in this scripture here in Nehemiah chapter 10. And also we'll flip back to chapter 9 also. How do you do that? First thing is there's got to be an examination. Examination on a personal level. If you go back to chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, it says this. In the 20 and 4th day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers, stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. And another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Now, he gives us the elements of examination here. It's not just examining anything, but there was a, a time when God's people here in, in Nehemiah went through a personal examination. First of all, you'll notice humiliation. They did it with fasting and with sackcloth and with dirt upon their heads. In the Old Testament, they would literally humiliate themselves. Uh, they would take dust and throw it up in the air and let it come down on their heads. We don't, we don't do that anymore, but bless God, it wouldn't hurt us a little bit to emulate the spirit of what the Old Testament saints did do. Uh, humiliation means getting low to the earth. Our very word uh, humus means dirt. They put dirt uh, upon their heads to show just how low they were and how humiliated before God. Uh, I want to tell you, if you ask me, one of the greatest problems we've got in churches today is people sitting around in big churches, haughty and unbroken and unbent. And God says, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, in Psalm 51. And we don't need to be saying, let me tell you, the only thing we got to be happy about in this place tonight is the fact that Jesus has saved our soul. That's the only thing we've got to be happy about. We don't have anything to be proud about. My soul. You say, well, look at this building. Well, good grief. There are buildings three times nicer than this. We ain't, got, we ain't got nothing to be proud about this building. Everything we've got is because of God. And we need to humble ourselves before him. Then secondly, there's a separation. Humiliation and then separation. Verse 2, the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. Now, what does that mean? It means they got alone by themselves. They got quiet. They came out of the world. They were separate. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 uh, that we are to come out from among them and be ye separate in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. We don't hear a lot about separation today. Everybody's just kind of muddy about this thing. It's not any separation. We all know you can't tell who's in the church and who's not in the church when you get outside the walls of the church. And uh, there ought to be a separation. There ought to be, folk ought to know that you love the Lord Jesus Christ uh, without you having to carry a 1611 King James Bible around under your arm saying, I'm saved, I'm saved. They ought to be able to look at your attitude, your spirit, your, your smile, and uh, just your, your, your talk and speech. Uh, we have today a, a good Lord, good devil, take it or leave it type Christianity. And the church is becoming more like the world every day. More like the world. Now, I don't know where you draw the line. I don't know. I got pastor friends, they say you ought to draw the line on the drums. Don't let no drums come in the house of God. I don't know. I find in the Bible they had drums. Uh, don't let no horns come in. Well, I find in the Bible they had horns. Uh, don't let no sinners come in. Well, I find in the Bible they had sinners in the church. I, I'm thinking, wh 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 where do we draw the line? And I, I don't know. I'm not telling you I have the answers, but I am telling you 
that there ought to be something different about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the people of the church of God. We ought to be different. We ought to be separated from these people. Uh, they refuse to be chloroformed by the spirit of the age. And I want to tell you, brethren, we have we failed that test. We have failed that test. You know, one of the things in the Baptist church, you can't sit and be quiet very long. People get nervous. They just get you just you just say, "Hey, we're gonna have prayer in just for a couple of minutes." Man, they'll be wringing their hands, and whew, we got we got to have music playing while we're doing that. We got to have our mind off of what we're doing. We got to have other things attracting us. No, we, we just need to come out from among them. Just be quiet sometimes. And then there's not only humiliation and separation, there's confession. Uh, uh, they confess their sins to the Lord. Now, don't look around and, you know, that's, that's what everybody wants to do. We want to look around and see what other people are doing and saying, well, thank God I'm not like them. Well, I don't know. Ask yourself these questions. If every member of Woodland Hills was just like you, if every member in this church sang just like you sang, what kind of church would we have? Now, I'm not talking about nah, you know. It don't have to be on note. My soul. Did you all hear Brother Case on that song? <laughs> I tell you. How in the world Aaron Perkins got Case Kirkendall and Becky Hunt to get on that video, I'm telling you right now, uh, is beyond me. It's beyond me. It's just beyond me. Uh, but anyway, if everybody sang just like you did, with the smile and the gusto and the excitement, what kind of church would it be? If everybody prayed like you prayed, mm, you, you do realize I was writing a, a letter. Brother Jim Walsh is fixing to turn 80 next week. And, and uh, they asked me to write a letter, you know, just reminiscing of some things. And, you know, one of the things that Jim Walsh taught me, we'd, we'd go into revival service, and he'd get there. He'd spend three or four hours a day in prayer in the auditorium. And he would walk in and out of every pew. He'd lay hands on every pew. He'd slap that pew and say, Lord, the one that's sitting here, would you speak to them now? All over that whole building. And he wouldn't, you know, I'd always been raised all my, 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 my years. When you pray now, you bow your head, you kneel or do whatever, you bow your head. Old Jim walked all over the building, all over. We'd have a tent remain. I'd hear chairs rattling. He'd, he'd get tangled up back there in metal chairs and, and be fighting them chairs. He'd walk all over that thing praying. Do you realize the prayer that affects this building right here and the services in this building? If everybody prayed for our Sunday service like you prayed for it, what kind of Sunday service would we have? <laughs> what about uh, if everybody were to give like you did during the offering? Hmm? We have fire about half the staff? <laughs> I'm just saying, this is examination time. This part, thank God it's personal. You don't have to get up and tell nobody this. It's just a time for you to examine yourself. I, uh, I've been in a fight with a lady on Facebook. I don't know if any of y'all, if you see that, I've got a message. I've got to tell her one more time, and then I'm going to say I'm through with you, lady, because she told me today. Did anybody, did you read that, what she wrote today? She, this lady, we're fighting over President Trump and the, all the politics and everything, and I've known this lady for 50, 60 years, 50 years, and uh, 
But she said today, she's only voted one time. Now, she's my age. She's a little older than me. She's only voted one time in her entire life. And I, was, I had a message typed up, and Becky said, you ain't sending that to her. <laughs> and I said, well, I really, but, but I want to tell you something, folks. Uh, you know, that, that's the kind of people sitting around griping about our country and then hadn't even gone to vote. And then she told me the one she voted for was Jimmy Carter. I thought, good grief. Just because he's got Baptist by his name, everybody thinks he's wonderful. And, and, and God love him, I'm sure he is wonderful. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's kind of like folk uh, that are not want, they want the church to move, they want the church to grow, and they want all these things to happen, but they don't want to give anything. What about if everybody invited people like you did next week? Now, we got people scattered all over there. Children's ministry, youth, college, music, and in here, and then connections meeting in there. There are people scattered all over. But what if just us in this room covenanted to invite and get somebody here Sunday morning? Just one, just one. Totally changed outlook of this church. What, what if everybody studied their Bible like you studied yours? What if everybody witnessed like you witnessed? What kind of church would we have? There needs to be some confession. Uh, <laughs> there's a modern parable called They. There was a man who lived in the 20th century. His house was new, two cars and a boat, graced his garage and carport, colored television gleamed in his den. His family was healthy and low good fortune did smile upon him. As was his custom when he was in town when the fish were not biting and when he was not on the beach or at the lake, and when the company did not come, and when he could get up on time, when he was not too tired, and when there was nothing else to do, he regularly went to church. On these occasions, once every five or six weeks, he spent his time deploring the decaying state of the church. The Sunday school was low in attendance, the choir was scant, the congregation small, the offering poor, the preacher was discouraged, something called church training was about shot. They ought, listen to, they ought to do better, he said. What do they think this thing of religion is about anyway? Surely they could do better than this. And so vacations and days off came and went until many moons had passed. And as in the way of the world, this man's children grew up. He knew that they didn't go to church because they down at the church had not interested them in religion. The man's health failed. One day he noticed something strange. They down at the church came by no more. They didn't visit him in the hospital. Verily, verily, he was angry. But being a great heart, he decided he would forgive them and go to church once more. But behold, when he arrived, there was no church, only a 7-Eleven store. Where's the church, he demanded. Dead was the answer. Oh, he moaned, they should not have let it die. Boy, I'm telling you, the they folk is not they, it's us. It's we, our duty to the church. What are we supposed to be doing to the church? Let me tell you, we have a duty to our church, to the house of God. And this is personal examination time. Number one, it's attend church. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You're here on Wednesday night. You attend church. Radio and television were never meant to take the place of church. That's not why you come here. You say, well, I can get the message. No, Hebrews 10, 25 plainly says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, so much as we see the day approaching. That's the day of the Lord. Anybody in this room not think that the day of the Lord is closer today than it was yesterday? 
I mean, at any moment, he could come back. Some folks come to church three times, when they're hatched, when they're matched, and when they're dispatched. And I, that's about the size of some of them there. Now, uh, and yet they talk about belonging to the church. Uh, they talk about the church belonging to them. Of course, it's the Lord's church. So we're to be faithful in our attendance. Uh, I, there's nobody too bad to come to church. And there's nobody too good that don't need to come to church. We all need the church. We need to be in the house of God. And our job and his duty as a Christian is to attend church. And then secondly, we need to defend the church. Uh, that, that's, uh, uh, the, 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 the days are getting shorter. Churches are under bombardment. Not all churches. Uh, churches that don't believe in the word of God that's inerrant. Nobody's messing with them. Everybody's happy with them. But you take a church. I talked to a man last week in the aisle of the grocery store, and he said, uh, and I didn't even know who he was, but he knew me, and he said, let me ask you something, preacher. Does your church still believe that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven? I said, well, sure we believe it. It's in the Bible. And he broke down and started crying. He said, my church don't believe that anymore. My church don't believe that. There's some people in it that do. But he said, our church has come to the place where we need to accept everybody's own way to get to heaven. Man, that's going to take you straight to hell. We, we need to defend the church. We're, we're going to find ourselves, we're already finding ourselves, a generation of twice-born people in a world of once-born people. And it's like oil and water mixing. It don't mix very well. It's our job to attend, it's our job to defend, and then it's our job to extend the church, to go out and to bring others. He said, go into the highways and hedges, compel them in Luke 14, 23 to come in. Now, let me, let me just make it easy for you, okay? You say, preacher, you push this thing a soul winning, and I'm just telling you, I'm not cut out for it. I'm not cut out. Okay, let's say you're not. I think you're wrong, but let's say you're not. Could you at least not invite somebody to come to church? I mean, if they come to church, they're going to get under the power of the Holy Spirit. And they could very well be saved right here at church. So I'm just asking you, if you say, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not a soul winner and I can't win people to Jesus. Well, could you just invite them to say, hey, would you come go to church with me? I'll, I'll save you a parking spot. <laughs> we'll put a cone out there with your name on it. And I'll take you out to dinner or whatever and then pray that the Holy Spirit of God would get a hold of them while they're in church. But we've got to go out and get people. We've got to reach people. This is a day of, uh, this is a day of glad tidings for the people of God. We, we're, whew, shame on us if we don't invite people when we've got the answers to the problems of the world and what they face now. Uh, Mm, that great banquet, that great feast one day, my soul. I mean, we have feast here, and it's great. Boy, that's wonderful. But it's not going to be able to touch what that banquet is up there in heaven. And then we're not going to invite people to come go to that banquet with us. And then we ought to commend the church. Attend, defend, extend, and commend. I try to make this easy on you. You ought to love the church. Let me tell you, folks, let's just make a covenant together. 
let's let the criticism come from outside the church. Let, 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 let the devil's people say whatever they want to about the church. But inside the church, we ought to defend the church and commend the church. The church is not perfect. It's not perfect. In fact, <laughs> honestly, well, I don't know. The hell's angels may have this same motto. But the church is about one of the few institutions that you can join that you have to admit you're bad before you can become a member. You have to admit you're a sinner before you can join a church. Now, outside of the hell's angels, there's not very many other people like that. I mean, we're, we're certainly not perfect here, and the church is not perfect. Well, why should we love the church? Well, because Jesus loved the church. Now, some of you say that's not a good enough answer. But that's the answers you've been giving your kids all your life. Mama, why would I have to do this? Because I said you had to do this. Huh? Daddy, why do I have to do this? Because Daddy said you had to do this. And because I'm the one that's running this thing. And, well, let me tell you, Jesus loved the church. And we ought to love the church simply because Jesus loved the church. I read this story many years ago, but I went back and dug it up. Dr. Ellis Fuller was a well-known preacher in Georgia. <clears throat> he was visiting a household, beautiful house. And he hadn't been at this church very long. And, and uh, th these were cultured people. They were deeply dedicated to the Lord. They had everything in life that, that you could want. And just fine people. And they had a little old ugly dog, a little old poodle. That's all. Boy, they just love that dog, and they showered love on that dog. And that dog had a special place to sleep. The dog ate the finest food. Uh, they they petted him. They cuddled that little dog. And and the pastor said to him, he said, just call him John and Mary. He said John and Mary he said, let me ask you something. I'm your pastor. I don't want to intrude or meddle, but I've noticed the affection you have for this little dog. It, it's so precious and all of that. What? Why, why haven't y'all had children to show that affection to? You're the kind of family that would, you know, raise kids to be godly kids. And man, the mother immediately just buried her head in her in her hands and got up and run out of the room. And pastor apologized said, "I'm I'm sorry. I I just bumbled that up. I shouldn't have said anything. And and uh, I, I'm terribly sorry." And the man said, "Hey, uh, don't don't apologize." He said, "We did have a son." And uh, he said, but he was taken in sickness. The doctor said he couldn't live. And, and, uh, and then after she gave birth to the son, the doctor said she'd never be able to have another child. And so so, only thing we've got is what our son, he loved this little dog. This is his dog, was his dog. And they were taking care of that dog because that boy loved that dog. Let me tell you why I love the church. I know it's got troubles. I know there are problems, but I love the church because Jesus loved the church. He loved the church. And if he loved the church enough to die for the church, then bless God, we ought to love the church too. Well, you, you can point out all the characteristics you want to. When a man loves football, I'm going to tell you that dude's crazy. He loves pigskin. He loves the, the, the gridiron. He loves the bleachers. He loves the stand. He loves the football. When a man loves fishing, he loves rod and reels. He loves the, the, the boats. He loves motors. He loves piers. He loves all that. And when a man loves Jesus, I'll tell you, he'll love the church too. 
When you find somebody who says, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, something's wrong somewhere in their life. When, you remember when Saul was on the road to Damascus? And Jesus, I think it was an incarnate Jesus, but anyway, a great light hit him. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. Now the inference there is if you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting Jesus. Jesus loved the church. Uh, uh, it's clear. Um, examination. We need to examine ourselves. Then, then secondly, some prayerful reminiscing. I love to reminisce. You know, the older you get, kind of more you like to tell those stories. Every time you tell them, you kind of embellish them just a little bit more. You know, maybe, uh, you, you know, you just kind of enjoy that. How we need to, to reminisce. They begin to do that here in, in chapter 9, verse 4. And actually, the longest prayer in the Bible is right here in the ninth chapter of Nehemiah. Uh, and, and, and they, they begin to think about the blessings of God and thanking God. Verses 19 through 31, they spoke of the provisions of God, how God had provided for them. Then verses 22 and 23, the promises of God. Verse 24 and 25, the power of God. Verse 26 through 28, the patience of God. Verse 29 through 30, they spoke of the punishments of God. They spoke all about that. There's got to be a personal examination, but there also must be some prayer, prayerful reminiscing. We need to think about what God has done and what God has blessed us with. You think about how many people in this church, how many teenagers have been rescued in this church. You think about how many children who've been taught the Word of God who have gone home to share that with parents that still don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about how many people in jails and prisons through different ministries of this group and people in this group who've gone out to preach. How many elderly people in nursing homes and retirement centers. You think about how many people who've been snatched out of the jaws of hell and made a citizen of heaven because of Woodland Hills Baptist Church. How I thank God for it and his power and his patience. Don't forsake the house of God. Let me give you the last thing. I wanted to camp here a while. It's going to be quick, though. They had determination, but they had a purpose for it. Some people are just determined to be determined. But these people had a purposeful determination. Uh, they had the examination. There was prayerful uh, reminiscing. And then thirdly, there's a determination. They signed a covenant before God. They prayed this prayer. They contemplated the goodness of God, reminisced about it, examined their own lives and their own failures, reminded themselves of the goodness of God. And then look at Nehemiah verse 9, verse 38. And because of all this, what is that? All that, all that means all the blessings of God. Because of all that God has done, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal it unto it. And then verse 28, chapter 10, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethamims, and all that had separated themselves from the people of the lands under the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, and all these people signed this covenant. Nehemiah 10, 28. <laughs> 
we say building for eternity, and I know a lot of people are, 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 don't want to talk about a pledge card. We don't dare hand anybody a pledge card because some people just get offended. So we rename it, and we call it a commitment card. But see, you're too smart. You, you understand a commitment card is the same thing as a pledge card. And you say, I, I'm not going to sign a pledge card. I thank God the Word of God is full of pledges that God has made to us. These people didn't mind signing it. Huh? I'm just telling you, these people didn't mind signing. They saw what God had done for them, and they thought about the blessings of God, and they signed it, they sealed it, and they said, there are three things that we're going to do. Number one, they said, we're going to be faithful. Verse 29, they clave to their brethren. That's Nehemiah 10, 29. Clave to their brethren, their nobles, entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his judgments and statutes. You know what they said? They said, we're going to live by the word of God. We're going to live by the word of God. We enter into a covenant. We take an oath. We're going to be subject to the scriptures. Uh, we'll continue, I think is a great church, if we continue to tell folks and teach folks and believe and live it that the Word of God is inerrant. It's not only inerrant, it's infallible and it's all-sufficient. You don't need anything but the Word of God. When, when it gets down to where this is all you got, this is all you need. Commitment to faithfulness. Hmm. I wonder if we could make that commitment tonight. We're going to live by the word of God. By the grace of God, we're going to live by. Then they had a commitment to their families. They made a commitment concerning their faithfulness, but then number two, their families. They said in verse 30, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, not take their daughters for our son. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, they basically are saying in, in, in summary that our family is going to glorify God. We're going to glorify God in our family. We're not going to lose our children to the world. We're not going to let our children marry unsaved people. Uh, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We're going to bring our children up in the fear and the nurture and the admonition of Almighty God, which is what Ephesians 6, 4 tells us we need to do. I want to tell you, we need to bring. That's why this building for eternity is so important. We need to start with those young children, those kids in that nursery, and own up in the preschool, and own up in the kindergarten, and own up in the elementary school. And if they don't hear it at home, we need to be driving it in every part we can, that this is what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God says. I, I, I don't want to drive it too hard because I, I know you're going to get upset with me. But I want to tell you, I, I wish I had our young people a time where I preached to them every Sunday, just our young people. Because I'd be driving it home. Don't you be shacking up with nobody. That's not godly. Don't even go out on a date with somebody that doesn't know the Lord. You say, well, God's going to use me. Well, then let God use you to get them saved, and then you go out on a date with them. Because I want to tell you, the devil has some influence too, and you can fall in love with the wrong dude. Or dudette. Whichever. It's not only guys, it's girls too. That you bring your children up to love the Lord and to love the church. And man, when I look out here and see like two and three and some even four generations of families serving the Lord together, what a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. There was a young married couple that uh, was con contact contacted and invited to the services at this church. And 
the record, they wrote them down. On the first call, this is what they said. We're going to start coming to church as soon as the baby gets old enough to come. Amen? Now, I know we're living in days. and Look, I'm not knocking this. Keep you, you know, these doctors that tell you don't let your child get around. I'll tell you right now, ours went in a nursery the week they were born. They just went in there. I think that's how they build their immune system. But, you know, keep them separated and all of that. I, if they tell you six weeks or two months, whatever. But, but, but we're going to bring them just as soon as the child gets old enough. A year later, they were contacted, and they said, you know, I know we promised, but the baby's in the stage where she cries a lot, and I don't get anything out of the services. I know she disturbs other people, so maybe when the baby gets a little older. Three years after that, they said, I, I know you think we're awful. We're not coming to church because Julie doesn't want to go to church. Why do you think she's different from the other children her age? You ever see a child throw a fit down here at the nursery or that? Yeah, just hand them on over and walk on off. They'll be all right. If they do quit breathing, they know CPR down there. They can do it. They can do it. 11 years after that, the lady said, I'm so glad you called. I want you and some of the deacons to see if you can talk with Julie. She's running around with the wrong crowd. Perhaps if the church would provide some kind of entertainment for the young people, she might get interested. Two years after that, yes, Julie's married. They were awful young, and she, he's not a member of the church, but we hope it works out. Ten years after that, well, Julie has finally married a man who can give her the better things of life. This is her third husband. She couldn't get along with the others. I hope that, that this one becomes a member of the church. But the, the preacher preached a marriage, a sermon on marriage and divorce, and he says he'll never attend that church again. Must be something wrong with that church. I can't imagine what on earth got into my daughter, Mary. I'll tell you what it got into her daughter, Mary. It was her mother. Now, I, I just jotted these ten things down here real quickly. And I know, I, I wish... We had more younger adults in here, too. I might try to give this to them even. But how do you make your home a kind of a home where you can bring your, your children up to be the family of God? Number one, you make your home attractive. Uh, make it the most brightest, attractive place on the face of the earth. Make it a place where people want to come together. You ever been in places like that? I mean, you just want to hang around. Uh, but but then, then there are other places you don't want to. It's dark. And, so make your home a little bit of heaven. Secondly, let your children invite their friends to come. Never get upset. I'd rather have my kids in my house with their friends than I would in somebody else's house. So always make your home open. Hey, throw another cup of water in the soup or whatever, and you, you, know, you, just, you just make do. You make do. Number three, make your children responsible for daily duties. Don't do anything for your children that they're capable of doing for themselves. Who I'd like to preach that to some of my kids. The one lives next door to me. You know why his little girl won't pick up stuff? Because her daddy walks in and just throws it off wherever he walks in. That's just the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Never punish your child in anger. Always get a hold of yourself. I'm not saying don't discipline. I'm just saying don't punish them in anger. I heard about a man pushing the baby carriage one day. He was saying, now, Albert, careful, Albert. Easy, Albert. There, 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 Albert. This lady come up to him and said, I just want you to know, I think it's so wonderful 
that all the patience you have with little Albert. He said, he's Harold, I'm Albert. <laughs> That's, we, we might need to tell ourselves, hey, just calm down, be, be patient. Then talk about the Lord. Listen to, talk about the Lord in his word. Make things, bring them up and lead them in the area of the Lord and the word of God. Hey, when, when you see a hummingbird, the other morning, the hummingbirds were all around there, and, and I began to tell Isabel about, you know, how God created those little hummingbirds. Man, have you ever watched how fast their wings go? I, uh, we were eating breakfast in a little old one-joint uh, cafe this morning in Arlington, and they had a picture up there uh, with, a, uh, with a goldfish in a blender. And it says, you just think your day's stressful. Uh, when you put that goldfish and they're fixing to turn that blender on. Uh, talk about the Lord. Talk about how God created the heavens and the earth. How God's done all of this. I mean, it's all God. And then don't criticize a child as a person. It's hard to do. Live uprightly before him. Tell your child you love him. Mm. Understand that making character is more important than making money. And then pray for an humble heart. Now, let me give you the last thing here. I'm through. Concerning their finances, they're examining themselves. They've got a duty. And then they said, we're going to sign this oath. They made a solemn declaration. Their faithfulness, their families. And then the third thing was their finances. Verse 31. This is another thing that they signed to. They said in verse 31, if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. Now, what do they mean? They mean that they're not going to transgress the laws of God to do business. Now, I know we're talking about the Jews here. I know we're talking about the Sabbath here. But generally what they're saying here is, for us it means this, that in gaining money and gaining uh, in our business transactions, uh, as Christians, our money ought to be gainfully gotten. Ought not to be crooked. Verse 32, we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. We just made a law for ourselves. We wrote it down. We made a commitment that we're going to bring our substance of our finances and we're going to bring it to the house of God. Now down in verse 38, the Bible says, And the priest, son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites, and the Levites shall take tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes unto the house of God, to the chambers, into the treasure house, the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn and the new wine and the new oil unto the chambers where are the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers, and we will not forsake the house of our God. These, these guys had enough gumption to understood, understand what it took to let the church go on and move on. It takes finances. It takes money. Don't get so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I mean, I'm just looking at the spiritual things. I'm just looking. Well, no, it takes earthly things, too, here on this earth. Now, I understand that this is Old Testament. And I know, listen, if I've heard one time, I've been in ministry 46 years. I've heard this hundreds of times about, well, that's Old Testament tithing. It's Old Testament. We're under the New Testament. Anybody who'd let a Jew do more under the law than you'll do under grace is a disgrace to grace. Yeah, we're in the New Testament. The tenth doesn't belong to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. 
and we're going to give an account for it one day. Every bit of it. God said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there might be meat. I, I, I'm just telling you, I, I, I know I can point to people right now that will tell you, if you'll tithe, you'll be blessed. I, I can point to them. We can stay here half the night. I know I'm preaching to the choir again, but it, you need to be sharing that with the other people who are not in the choir here on Wednesday night. It says, I love it, and we will not forsake the house of our God. Mm. We will not forsake the house of our God. May we examine ourselves. Personal examination. What kind of person am I? What kind of member am I? I'm not worried about what anybody else is doing. Number two, reminisce. Think about what God has done to get you where you are today. Man, think, I'm looking at some people here on Wednesday night that if you'd have said five years ago they'd been in church on Wednesday night, people would have laughed their head off. They ain't going to be in church Wednesday night. They ain't going to be in church Sunday morning either. They're heathen. You ain't going to be able to, there's nothing going to be able to do. God can do anything. Reminisce about it. And then, uh, in order to be a part of the church, you got to be saved. That's step one. Make sure that you're saved. I mean, if you, if you go through all of this and you're not saved, it, it's, it's useless. Billy Sunday, you know, he's one of my greatest evangelists uh, uh, that I love to read. After One time after a tent meeting had ended, old Billy Sunday was helping all the workers take the tent down, and a young man who'd been in the services the night before, he came running up, uh, had been under conviction and all, and, and he said, Mr. Sunday, he said, I need to be saved. What can I do to be saved? And Billy Sunday said, I'm sorry, you're too late. And he just kept on taking the tent down. Man, the young man just began to get nervous, and he said, I I'm telling you, I, I need to be saved. What can I do to be saved? He said, I'm sorry, you're too late. He said, what, what, what do you mean I'm too late? And Billy Sunday said, everything for you to be saved has already been done. There's nothing you can do to be saved. It was all finished on Calvary. And then he sat down and led him to the Lord. What can I do to be saved? Man, Jesus has already done it. He's already paid for it. Paid in full. Stamped. Paid in full. Nothing you need to do except repent and accept Christ and be saved. Father, thank you tonight for allowing us to fellowship. Thank you for these prophets that we've been looking at. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us as a church to examine ourselves individually. And then, Lord, to just stop and, and give some serious thought to where would I be without you, Lord? What in the world would I be doing right now on this Wednesday night if you'd not reached down and touched me and saved my soul? And if you'd not blessed me and if you'd not walked with me and corrected me, and where, where would I be? And then, Lord, may we commit tonight together that we're not going to forsake the house of God. doesn't matter what comes against us. We're, we're, we're not going to forsake the house of the Lord. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, prayer lists are outside.